Section 14 of Why Do We Need a Public Library by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. Section 14, Chapter 1 of Ideas in General and Their Original by John Locke. 1. Idea is the object of thinking. Every man, being conscious to himself that he thinks, and that which his mind is applied about whilst thinking, being the ideas that are there, it is past doubt that men have in their minds several ideas, such as are those expressed by the words whiteness, hardness, sweetness, thinking, motion, man, elephant, army, drunkenness, and others. It is in the first place, then, to be inquired how he comes by them. I know it is a received doctrine that men have native ideas and original characters stamped upon their minds in their very first being. This opinion I have at large examined already, and, I suppose, what I have said in the foregoing book will be much more easily admitted when I have shown whence the understanding may get all the ideas it has and by what ways and degrees they may come into the mind, for which I shall appeal to everyone's own observation and experience. 2. All ideas come from sensation or reflection. Let us then suppose the mind to be, as we say, white paper, void of all characters, without any ideas. How comes it to be furnished? Whence comes it? by that vast store which the busy and boundless fancy of man has painted on it with an almost endless variety whence has it all the materials of reason and knowledge to this i answer in one word from experience in that all our knowledge is founded and from that it ultimately derives itself our observation employed either about external sensible objects or about the internal operations of our minds perceived and reflected on by ourselves is that which supplies our understandings with all the materials of thinking these two are the fountains of knowledge from whence all the ideas we have or can naturally have do spring three the objects of sensation one source of ideas first our senses conversant about particular sensible objects do convey into the mind several distinct perceptions of things according to those various ways wherein those objects do affect them and thus we come by those ideas we have of yellow white heat cold soft hard bitter sweet and all those which we call sensible qualities which when i say the senses convey into the mind i mean they from external objects convey into the mind what produces there those perceptions this great source of most of the ideas we have depending wholly upon our senses and derived by them to the understanding i call sensation for the operations of our minds the other source of them secondly the other fountain from which experience furnisheth the understanding with ideas is 
the perception of the operations of our own mind within us as it is employed about the ideas it has got which operations when the soul comes to reflect on and consider do furnish the understanding with another set of ideas which could not be had from things without and such are perception thinking doubting believing reasoning knowing willing and all the different actings of our own minds which we being conscious of and observing in ourselves do from these receive into our understandings as distinct ideas as we do from bodies affecting our senses this source of ideas every man has wholly in himself and though it be not sense as having nothing to do with external objects yet it is very like it and might properly enough be called internal sense but as i call the other sensation so i call this reflection the ideas it affords being such only as the mind gets by reflecting on its own operations within itself by reflection then in the following part of this discourse i would be understood to mean that notice which the mind takes of its own operations and the manner of them by reason whereof there come to be ideas of these operations in the understanding these two i say viz external material things as the objects of sensation and the operations of our own minds within as the objects of reflection are to me the only originals from whence all our ideas take their beginnings the term operations here i use in a large sense as comprehending not barely the actions of the mind about its ideas but some sort of passions arising sometimes from them such as is the satisfaction or uneasiness arising from any thought five all our ideas are of the one or of the other of these the understanding seems to me not to have the least glimmering of any ideas which it doth not receive from one of these two external objects furnish the mind with the ideas of sensible qualities which are all those different perceptions they produce in us and the mind furnishes the understanding with ideas of its own operations these when we have taken a full survey of them and their several modes and the compositions made out of them we shall find to contain all our whole stock of ideas and that we have nothing in our minds which did not come in one of these two ways let any one examine his own thoughts and thoroughly search into his understanding and then let him tell me whether all the original ideas he has there are any other than of the objects of his senses or of the operations of his mind considered as objects of his reflection and how great a mass of knowledge soever he imagines to be lodged there he will upon taking a strict view see that he has not any idea in his mind but what one of these two have imprinted though perhaps with infinite variety compounded and enlarged by the understanding as we shall see hereafter six observable in children he that attentively considers the state of a child at his first coming into the world will have little reason to think him stored with plenty of ideas 
that are to be the matter of his future knowledge it is by degrees he comes to be furnished with them and though the ideas of obvious and familiar qualities imprint themselves before the memory begins to keep a register of time or order yet it is often so late before some unusual qualities come in the way that there are few men that cannot recollect the beginning of their acquaintance with them and if it were worth while no doubt a child might be so ordered as to have but a very few even of the ordinary ideas till he were grown up to a man but all that are born into the world being surrounded with bodies that perpetually and diversely affect them variety of ideas whether care be taken of it or not are imprinted on the minds of children light and colors are busy at hand everywhere when the eye is but open sounds and some tangible qualities fail not to solicit their proper senses and force an entrance to the mind but yet i think it will be granted easily that if a child were kept in a place where he never saw any other but black and white till he were a man he would have no more ideas of scarlet or green than he that from his childhood never tasted an oyster or a pineapple as of those particular relishes seven men are differently furnished with these according to the different objects they converse with men then come to be furnished with fewer or more simple ideas from without according as the objects they converse with afford greater or less variety and from the operations of their minds within according as they more or less reflect on them for though he that contemplates the operations of his mind cannot but have plain and clear ideas of them yet unless he turn his thoughts that way and considers them attentively he will no more have clear and distinct ideas of all the operations of his mind and all that may be observed therein than he will have all the particular ideas of any landscape or of the parts and motions of a clock who will not turn his eyes to it and with attention heed all the parts of it the picture or clock may be so placed that they may come in his way every day but yet he will have but a confused idea of all the parts they are made up of till he applies himself with attention to consider them each in particular eight ideas of reflection later because they need attention and hence we see the reason why it is pretty late before most children get ideas of the operations of their own minds and some have not any very clear or perfect ideas of the greatest part of them all their lives because though they pass there continually yet like floating visions they make not deep impressions enough to leave in their mind clear distinct lasting ideas till the understanding turns inward upon itself reflects on its own operations and makes them the objects of its own contemplation children when they come first into it are surrounded with a world of new things which by a constant solicitation of their senses draw the mind constantly to them forward to take notice of new and apt to be delighted with the variety of changing objects thus 
the first years are usually employed and diverted in looking abroad men's business in them is to acquaint themselves with what is to be found without and so growing up in a constant attention to outward sensations seldom make any considerable reflection on what passes within them till they come to be of riper years and some scarce ever at all nine the soul begins to have ideas when it begins to perceive to ask at what time a man has first any ideas is to ask when he begins to perceive having ideas and perception being the same thing i know it is an opinion that the soul always thinks and that it has the actual perception of ideas in itself constantly as long as it exists and that actual thinking is as inseparable from the soul as actual extension is from the body which if true to inquire after the beginning of a man's ideas is the same as to inquire after the beginning of his soul for by this account soul and its ideas as body and its extension will begin to exist both at the same time ten the soul thinks not always for this wants proofs but whether the soul be supposed to exist antecedent to or coeval with or some time after the first rudiments of organization or the beginnings of life in the body i leave to be disputed by those who have better thought of that matter i confess myself to have one of those dull souls that doth not perceive itself always to contemplate ideas nor can conceive it any more necessary for the soul always to think than for the body always to move the perception of ideas being as i conceive to the soul what motion is to the body not its essence but one of its operations and therefore though thinking be supposed never so much the proper action of the soul yet it is not necessary to suppose that it should be always thinking always in action that perhaps is the privilege of the infinite author and preserver of all things who never slumbers nor sleeps but is not competent to any finite being at least not to the soul of man we know certainly by experience that we sometimes think and thence draw this infallible consequence that there is something in us that has a power to think but whether that substance perpetually thinks or no we can be no further assured than experience informs us for to say that actual thinking is essential to the soul and inseparable from it is to beg what is in question and not to prove it by reason which is necessary to be done if it be not a self-evident proposition but whether this that the soul always thinks be a self-evident proposition that everybody assents to at first hearing i appeal to mankind it is doubted whether i thought at all last night or no the question being about a matter of fact it is begging it to bring as a proof for it an hypothesis which is the very thing in dispute by which way one may prove anything and it is but supposing that all watches whilst the balance beats think and it is sufficiently proved and passed out that my watch thought 
all last night but he that would not deceive himself ought to build his hypothesis on matter of fact and make it out by sensible experience and not presume on matter of fact because of his hypothesis that is because he supposed it to be so which way of proving amounts to this that i must necessarily think all last night because another supposes i always think though i myself cannot perceive that i always do so but men in love with their opinions may not only suppose what is in question but allege wrong matter of fact how else could any one make it an inference of mine that a thing is not because we are not sensible of it in our sleep i do not say there is no soul in a man because he is not sensible of it in his sleep but i do say he cannot think at any time waking or sleeping without being sensible of it our being sensible of it is not necessary to anything but to our thoughts and to them it is and to them it always will be necessary till we can think without being conscious of it eleven it is not always conscious of it i grant that the soul in a waking man is never without thought because it is the condition of being awake but whether sleeping without dreaming be not an affection of the whole man mind as well as body may be worth a waking man's consideration it being hard to conceive that anything should think and not be conscious of it if the soul doth think in a sleeping man without being conscious of it i ask whether during such thinking it has any pleasure or pain or be capable of happiness or misery i am sure the man is not no more than the bed or earth he lies on for to be happy or miserable without being conscious of it seems to me utterly inconsistent and impossible or if it be possible that the soul can while the body is sleeping have its thinking enjoyments and concerns its pleasures or pain apart which the man is not conscious of nor partakes in it is certain that socrates asleep and socrates awake is not the same person but his soul when he sleeps and socrates the man consisting of body and soul when he is waking are two persons since waking socrates has no knowledge of or concernment for that happiness or misery of his soul which it enjoys alone by itself whilst he sleeps without perceiving anything of it no more than he has for the happiness or misery of a man in the indies whom he knows not for if we take wholly away all consciousness of our actions and sensations especially of pleasure and pain and the concernment that accompanies it it will be hard to know wherein to place personal identity twelve if a sleeping man thinks without knowing it the sleeping and waking man are two persons the soul during sound sleep thinks say these men whilst it thinks and perceives it is capable certainly of those of delight or trouble as well as any other perceptions and it must necessarily be conscious of its own perceptions but it has all this apart the sleeping man it is plain is conscious of nothing of all this 
let us suppose then the soul of castor while he is sleeping retired from his body which is no impossible supposition for the men i have here to do with who so liberally allow life without a thinking soul to all other animals these men cannot then judge it impossible or a contradiction that the body should live without the soul nor that the soul should subsist and think or have perception even perception of happiness or misery without the body let us then i say suppose the soul of castor separated during his sleep from his body to think apart let us suppose too that it chooses for its scene of thinking the body of another man p g pollux who is sleeping without a soul for if castor's soul can think whilst castor is asleep what castor is never conscious of it is no matter what place it chooses to think in we have here then the bodies of two men with only one soul between them which we will suppose to sleep and wake by turns and the soul still thinking in the waking man whereof the sleeping man is never conscious has never the least perception i ask then whether castor and pollux thus with only one soul between them which thinks and perceives in one what the other is never conscious of nor is concerned for are not two as distinct persons as castor and hercules or as socrates and plato were and whether one of them might not be very happy and the other very miserable just by the same reason they make the soul and the man two persons who make the soul think apart what the man is not conscious of for i suppose nobody will make identity of persons to consist in the souls being united to the very same numerical particles of matter for if that be necessary to identify it will be impossible in that constant flux of the particles of our bodies that any man should be the same person two days or two months together thirteen impossible to convince those that sleep without dreaming that they think thus methinks every drowsy nod shakes their doctrine who teach that the soul is always thinking those at least who do at any time sleep without dreaming can never be convinced that their thoughts are sometimes for four hours busy without their knowing of it and if they are taken in the very act waked in the middle of that sleeping contemplation can give no manner of account of it fourteen that men dream without remembering it in vain urged it will perhaps be said that the soul thinks even in the soundest sleep but the memory retains it not that the soul in a sleeping man should be this moment busy a thinking and the next moment an awaking man not remember nor be able to recollect one jot of all those thoughts is very hard to be conceived and would need some better proof than bare assertion to make it be believed for who can without any more ado but being barely told so imagine that the greatest part of men do during all their lives for several hours every day think of something which if they were asked even in the middle of these thoughts they could remember nothing at all of 
most men i think pass a great part of their sleep without dreaming i once knew a man that was bred a scholar and had no bad memory who told me he had never dreamed in his life till he had that fever he was then newly recovered of which was about the five or six and twentieth year of his age i suppose the world affords more such instances at least every one's acquaintance will furnish him with examples enough of such a pass most of their nights without dreaming fifteen upon this hypothesis the thoughts of a sleeping man ought to be most rational to think often and never to retain it so much as one moment is a very useless sort of thinking and the soul in such a state of thinking does very little if at all excel that of a looking-glass which constantly receives variety of images or ideas but retains none they disappear and vanish and there remain no footsteps of them the looking-glass is never the better for such ideas nor the soul for such thoughts perhaps it will be said that in a waking man the materials of the body are employed and made use of in thinking and that the memory of thoughts is retained by the impressions that are made on the brain and the traces there left after such thinking but that in the thinking of the soul which is not perceived in a sleeping man there the soul thinks apart and making no use of the organs of the body leaves no impressions on it and consequently no memory of such thoughts not to mention again the absurdity of two distinct persons which follows from this supposition i answer further that whatever ideas the mind can receive and contemplate without the help of the body it is reasonable to conclude it can retain without the help of the body too or else the soul or any separate spirit will have but little advantage by thinking if it has no memory of its own thoughts if it cannot lay them up for its own use and be able to recall them upon occasion if it cannot reflect upon what is past and make use of its former experiences reasonings and contemplations to what purpose does it think they who make the soul a thinking thing at this rate will not make it a much more noble being than those do whom they condemn for allowing it to be nothing but the subtlest parts of matter characters drawn on dust that the first breath of wind effaces or impressions made on a heap of atoms or animal spirits are altogether as useful and render the subject as noble as the thoughts of a soul that perish in thinking that once out of sight are gone for ever and leave no memory of themselves behind them nature never makes excellent things for mean or no uses and it is hardly to be conceived that our infinitely wise creator should make so admirable a faculty as the power of thinking that faculty which comes nearest the excellency of his own incomprehensible being to be so idly and uselessly employed at least a fourth part of its time here as to think constantly without remembering any of those thoughts without doing any good to itself or others or being any way useful to any other part of the creation if we will examine it 
we shall not find i suppose the motion of dull and senseless matter anywhere in the universe made so little use of and so wholly thrown away sixteen on this hypothesis the soul must have ideas not derived from sensation or reflection of which there is no appearance it is true we have sometimes instances of perception whilst we are asleep and retain the memory of those thoughts but how extravagant and incoherent for the most part they are how little conformable to the perfection and order of a rational being those who are acquainted with dreams need not be told this i would willingly be satisfied in whether the soul when it thinks thus apart and as it were separate from the body acts less rationally than when conjointly with it or no if its separate thoughts be less rational then these men must say that the soul owes the perfection of rational thinking to the body if it does not it is a wonder that our dreams should be for the most part so frivolous and irrational and that the soul should retain none of its more rational soliloquies and meditations seventeen if i think when i know it not nobody else can know it those who so confidently tell us that the soul always actually thinks i would they would also tell us what those ideas are that are in the soul of a child before or just at the union with the body before it hath received any by sensation the dreams of sleeping men are as i take it all made up of the waking man's ideas though for the most part oddly put together it is strange if the soul has ideas of its own that it derived not from sensation or reflection as it must have if it thought before it perceived any impressions from the body that it should never in its private thinking so private that the man himself perceives it not retain any of them the very moment it wakes out of them and then make the man glad with new discoveries who can find it reason that the soul should in its retirement during sleep have so many hours thoughts and yet never light on any of those ideas it borrowed not from sensation or reflection or at least preserve the memory of none but such which being occasion from the body most needs be less natural to a spirit it is strange the soul should never once in a man's whole life recall over any of its pure native thoughts and those ideas it had before it borrowed anything from the body never bring into the waking man's view any other ideas but what have a tang of the cask and manifestly derive their original from that union if it always thinks and so had ideas before it was united or before it received any from the body it is not to be supposed but that during sleep it recollects its native ideas and during that retirement from communicating with the body whilst it thinks by itself the ideas it is busied about should be sometimes at least those more natural and congenial ones which it had in itself underived from the body or its own operations about them which 
since the waking man never remembers we must from this hypothesis conclude either that the soul remembers something that the man does not or else that memory belongs only to such ideas as are derived from the body or the mind's operations about them eighteen how knows any one that the soul always thinks for if it be not a self-evident proposition it needs proof i would be glad also to learn from these men who so confidently pronounce that the human soul or which is all one that a man always thinks how they come to know it nay how they come to know that they themselves think when they themselves do not perceive it this i am afraid is to be sure without proofs and to know without perceiving it is i suspect a confused notion taken up to serve an hypothesis and none of those clear truths that either their own evidence forces us to admit or common experience makes it impudence to deny for the most that can be said of it is that it is possible the soul may always think but not always retain it in memory and i say it is as possible that the soul may not always think and much more probable that it should sometimes not think than that it should often think and that a long while together and not be conscious to itself the next moment after that it had thought nineteen that a man should be busy in thinking and yet not retain it the next moment very improbable to suppose the soul to think and the man not to perceive it is as has been said to make two persons in one man and if one considers well these men's way of speaking one should be led into a suspicion that they do so for those who tell us that the soul always thinks do never that i remember say that a man always thinks can the soul think and not the man or a man think and not be conscious of it this perhaps would be suspected of jargon in others if they say the man thinks always but is not always conscious of it they may as well say his body is extended without having parts for it is altogether as intelligible to say that a body is extended without parts as that anything thinks without being conscious of it or perceiving that it does so they who talk thus may with as much reason if it be necessary to their hypothesis say that a man is always hungry but that he does not always feel it whereas hunger consists in that very sensation as thinking consists in being conscious that one thinks if they say that a man is always conscious to himself of thinking i ask how they know it consciousness is the perception of what passes in a man's own mind can another man perceive that i am conscious of anything when i perceive it not myself no man's knowledge here can go beyond his experience wake a man out of a sound sleep and ask him what he was that moment thinking of if he himself be conscious of nothing he then thought on he must be a notable diviner of thoughts that can assure him that he was thinking may he not with more reason 
assure him he was not asleep this is something beyond philosophy and it cannot be less than revelation that discovers to another thoughts in my mind when i can find none there myself and they must needs have a penetrating sight who can certainly see that i think when i cannot perceive it myself and when i declare that i do not and yet can see that dogs or elephants do not think when they give all the demonstration of it imaginable except only telling us that they do so this some may suspect to be a step beyond the rosicrucians it seeming easier to make one's self invisible to others than to make another's thoughts visible to me which are not visible to himself but it is but defining the soul to be a substance that always thinks and the business is done if such a definition be of any authority i know not what it can serve for but to make many men suspect that they have no souls at all since they find a good part of their lives pass away without thinking for no definitions that i know no suppositions of any sect are of force enough to destroy constant experience and perhaps it is the affectation of knowing beyond what we perceive that makes so much useless dispute and noise in the world twenty no ideas but from sensation and reflection evident if we observe children i see no reason therefore to believe that the soul thinks before the senses have furnished it with ideas to think on and as those are increased and retained so it comes by exercise to improve its faculty of thinking in the several parts of it as well as afterwards by compounding those ideas and reflecting on its own operations it increases its stock as well as facility in remembering imagining reasoning and other modes of thinking twenty one state of a child on the mother's womb he that will suffer himself to be informed by observation and experience and not make his own hypothesis the rule of nature will find few signs of a soul accustomed to much thinking in a newborn child and much fewer of any reasoning at all and yet it is hard to imagine that the rational soul should think so much and not reason at all and he that will consider that infants newly come into the world spend the greatest part of their time in sleep and are seldom awake but when either hunger calls for the teat or some pain the most importunate of all sensations or some other violent impression on the body forces the mind to perceive and attend to it he i say who considers this will perhaps find reason to imagine that a fetus in the mother's womb differs not much from the state of a vegetable but passes the greatest part of its time without perception or thought doing very little but sleep in a place where it needs not seek for food and is surrounded with liquor always equally soft and near of the same temper where the eyes have no light and the ears so shut up are not very susceptible of sounds and where there is little or no variety or change of objects to move the senses twenty two the mind thinks in proportion to the matter it gets from experience to think about follow a child from its birth 
and observe the alterations that time makes and you shall find as the mind by the senses comes more and more to be furnished with ideas it comes to be more and more awake thinks more the more it has matter to think on after some time it begins to know the objects which being most familiar with it have made lasting impressions thus it comes by degrees to know the persons it daily converses with and distinguishes them from strangers which are instances and effects of its coming to retain and distinguish the ideas the senses convey to it and so we may observe how the mind by degrees improves in these and advances to the exercise of those other faculties of enlarging compounding and abstracting its ideas and of reasoning about them and reflecting upon all these of which i shall have occasion to speak more hereafter twenty three a man begins to have ideas when he first has sensation what sensation is if it shall be demanded then when a man begins to have any ideas i think the true answer is when he first has any sensation for since there appear not to be any ideas in the mind before the senses have conveyed any in i conceive that ideas in the understanding are coeval with sensation which is such an impression or motion made in some part of the body as makes it be taken notice of in the understanding twenty four the original of all our knowledge the impressions then that are made on our sense by outward objects that are extrinsical to the mind and its own operations about these impressions reflected on by itself as proper objects to be contemplated by it are i conceive the original of all knowledge thus the first capacity of human intellect is that the mind is fitted to receive the impressions made on it either through the senses by outward objects or by its own operations when it reflects on them this is the first step a man makes towards the discovery of anything and the groundwork whereon to build all those notions which ever he shall have naturally in this world all those sublime thoughts which tower above the clouds and reach as high as heaven itself take their rise and footing here in all that great extent wherein the mind wanders in those remote speculations it may seem to be elevated with it stirs not one jot beyond those ideas which sense or reflection have offered for its contemplation twenty five in the reception of simple ideas the understanding is for the most part passive in this part the understanding is merely passive and whether or no it will have these beginnings and as it were materials of knowledge is not in its own power for the objects of our senses do many of them obtrude their particular ideas upon our minds whether we will or not and the operations of our minds will not let us be without at least some obscure notions of them no man can be wholly ignorant of what he does when he thinks these simple ideas when offered to the mind the understanding can no more refuse to have nor alter when they are imprinted nor blot them out and make new ones itself than a mirror can refuse 
alter or obliterate the images or ideas which the objects set before it do therein produce as the bodies that surround us do diversely affect our organs the mind is forced to receive the impressions and cannot avoid the perception of those ideas that are annexed to them End of section 14